0: The Being an Engineer podcast is a repository for industry knowledge, and a tool through which engineers learn about and connect with relevant companies, technologies, people, resources, and opportunities. Enjoy the show! Like, internally, engineers are like, yeah, we shouldn't make this stuff out, this material, it's horrible, it's like, you know, similar you know properties the wood and it's never going to work and we put the first one together and we were super scared to like sit in it so (laughs) one one foot down like the seat sitting down it's not cracking next thing you know we're jumping it over jumps and beating the crap out of it (laughs)
1: hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the being an engineer podcast today we're speaking with nick bauer and instead of listing off his credentials and a a brief summary of his background and experience i thought i'd introduce nick by reading a quick line from one of the recommendations left for him on linkedin it reads this guy is brilliant a lot of engineers go to school do well, graduate, and might have learned something. Nick is not that guy. Nick loves this stuff. So with that, Nick, welcome to the show. So oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So um, first question, what made you decide to become an engineer? Uh, this all
0: started when I was like a little kid. Like Before I could talk, I was stacking cans and doing other weird things like taking things apart, sometimes putting them back together successfully. Uh, (laughs) And then I got into like, uh, like when I was 13, I got like one of those prepaid like credit cards and the internet was a different like world back then. So I was able to sign up for PayPal and open the eBay account. And I joined like an antique radios.org forum and all these old guys on antique radios.org got me into like antique tube radios. I went to an antique store, pick one up, took it apart, fixed it. And before you know it, I have hundreds of radios in a little eBay store. Wow. Oh um, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. It sent me free parts and mentor me and passed down the knowledge of tube radios, so that's, uh, that's awesome. kind of what got started <laughs>
1: so did that uh, did that little business kind of fuel financially some of your later projects
0: yeah later projects and it was self-feeding for like the tube radios so whatever money i would make from the ebay store I just buy more so <laughs> it got to the point where there was no storage in my parents house and it was what? in my room dropping soldering irons on the ground. It was bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that sounds awesome though. I mean, for any budding engineer, what what was it you liked so much about the the tube radios? Uh, just cause they're like divided into sections.
0: Uh, everyone I got was had a different problem. So just troubleshooting and getting them going at the end and making a YouTube video or something like that is good
1: times. <laughs> nice. Nice. Was the sound quality, you know, a, a lot different than uh, the, the the radios of the day? Well, the, some people
0: like the audiophiles say like the tube stuff sounds better because like the like the the tubes like out of what they call it like a valve sound or like feed into each other. So, so like audiophiles like still use like McAfee tube base amplifiers and stuff because it sounds more rich. That's okay. actually
1: distortion.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I guess to each his own. Oh, uh, yeah. Were there any other projects growing up as a kid that, uh, that, that kind of foreshadowed your becoming an engineer? Oh, yeah.
0: Like I joined uh, the robotics club in high school. That was fun. The dean came in. First program, first robotics was a, was a big deal. So did that, became president. And it was really fun the challenges and the, I think it was a six-week build time and mentoring other students and building the robot. That's a good time.
1: <laughs> nice. So did you always know that engineering, that was what you were going to do? Or did you know, just know that you like building things, but hadn't quite connected the dots between that and being an engineer?
0: Oh, yeah. I just like building things. But I always knew I wanted to be an engineer, but I was absolutely horrible at math. So I never thought it was going to happen.
1: Oh, interesting. So what what changed? Uh, I basically put a
0: TI-89 inside of the TI-84 body so I could put calculus made easy. On the calculator, because we were like TI-84s.
1: <laughs> Are you saying you were
0: cheating? <laughs> uh, I mean, it looked like a TI-84 from the outside. <laughs> but could you step-by-step, step, you know, differential hey, equations.
1: In <laughs> my book, that is, that is what being an engineer is all about, right? It's solving problems. You s- saw a problem, and you fixed it, and you made a solution.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I failed Calc 1 three times, but ended up like during the rest of them and Diffy Q, no problem. (laughs) Once I made the calculator. (laughs) Ah,
1: That is too funny. I love it. Yeah. Well, post graduation, you've had uh, a long history working in the automotive field. And you're, you're currently a special projects engineer at the Nicola Motor Company. Can you tell us a little about what you do as a special projects engineer? I mean, what what is it about the nature of these projects that that makes them special? So basically, like the vehicles we work on
0: are the most advanced, like semi trucks in existence because they have like a bunch of different voltage variations on them. They're hydrogen as well as electric. So, whenever there's a problem, like let's say we need to move the vehicle or hold the vehicle in the air, this or that, and there's not a solution in place from the industry, something we can buy. Or something that has a lead time that takes a long time, I'll usually come up with a solution to the problem and implement it internally within the company.
1: And you seem like you're a very hands-on engineer. You're not the guy that just likes to sit behind a CAD box and design solutions, but you're the guy who likes to do that and then implement them. Is that accurate?
0: Oh, yeah, it's very accurate. I would say I'm the farthest from my analytical engineers you can get, like, pure on extreme practical engineering
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so in your experience you'd, you'd rather build something and just do it and see if it works rather than putting together a bunch of equations and formulas and doing like uh, I don't know some kind of simulation is that is that right oh yeah that's that's like a great summary of it <laughs> nice nice um, can you can you talk about or share any of the uh maybe some of the like big success like big wins or big fails conversely that you've had over your career oh yeah
0: i can talk about some of the earlier ones so like uh you know locomotors that was like my first like startup company and uh big entry into the automotive scene so we had like this vehicle called the rally fighter it was the world's first crowdsourced car
1: Oh, I'm glad um, you're talking about this. I, w- I wanted to get into the Rally Fighter. Oh, yeah, yeah, awesome vehicle. The first was supposed to be powered
0: by a BMW M57 diesel, but in production, we couldn't get those engines because uh, they're going to secondary vision within BMW and supply it. So we had to put LS3s in it, so it was pretty crazy because we had to adapt an ls3 to a vehicle that was already packaged around bmw motors so here i am (laughs) engineering intern going to school like making brackets and mounts and fuel pump modifications and everything else to help adapt this ls into this vehicle and the you know hundreds of solidworks parts and drawings and we get to two generations of the vehicle then uh the company wants to shift focus to uh 3d printed cars so we we actually made at locomotors the first uh, monocoque 3d printed uh vehicle so all like one piece like chassis monocoque wow. 3D printed and uh i was in charge of adapting basically taking apart renault twizzies and cutting them up and using the vehicle like drivetrain in these 3d printed cars and one was successful and one was not. I, I'm not sure what happened with the vehicles, but we would build them like on the trade show floor in, like three days. And that's pretty crazy. So sometimes you hack things together and they work and sometimes they
1: don't. <laughs> now, what what do you mean by a uh, 3D printed car? Because most 3D printed materials I know of, most, not all, are great for kind of touch and feel prototypes, but they're not super structurally sound. What, what materials were you using that would hold up to the rigors required by an, the automotive industry?
0: So we were like internally, engineers were like, yeah, we shouldn't make this stuff out. This material is horrible. It's like, you know, similar you know, properties, the wood, and it's never going to work. And we put the first one together and we were super scared to like sit in it. So (laughs) one one foot down, like the seat sitting down, it's not cracking. Next thing you know, we're jumping it over jumps and beating the crap out of it. (laughs) But (laughs) the material we use is like really, really heavy. Uh, But it, it worked and it's like a carbon. I mean, it's public knowledge. It's like a carbon fiber ABS mix and basically the ratio of like uh, carbon fiber like strands into the abs mixture allows it to like when when the machine prints it uh it's so like the layers don't shrink and separate from each other so there's a specific ratio between those two materials that make it work and not have like crazy striations
1: <laughs> is this uh a, a, a mark forged material uh I, I don't know the meaning of that. <laughs> Mark Forged is a company that manufactures 3D printers that have a continuous carbon fiber inlaid and chopped okay. carbon fiber.
0: Yeah, it was chopped carbon fiber in little pellets. Like the lengths of the strands were not as large as the pellets of the material, but it was made by Sabic.
1: Oh, okay. Interesting.
0: I still believe they're using it in production. They have much better 3D printing technology now than it was five years ago for the Ollie vehicle. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's advanced pretty rapidly. Now, you had mentioned the the uh, the Rally Fighter was the, the the world's first crowdsourced vehicle. Does that mean that it was on, like, Kickstarter or Indiegogo or something like that? Well, back in the day, locomotors had their own, like,
0: forum, as if you will. So, like, uh, that's how they kind of, you know... Made, made their coin was selling their ip and their software to crowdsource things which was like their website and stuff so everything oh, was launched internally yeah. yeah and the designer like we had many different competitions whoever would win would get a prize it would be like you know ten thousand or five thousand or whatever and then we we can go and try and make the vehicle and see if it'd be successful but i think the rally fighter was locomotor's most sold vehicle in terms of like production of larger vehicles
1: oh wow and And it's no longer sold right
0: yeah we built like uh i'm not sure under 100 of them okay Uh, two generations the generations vary differently based on like the chassis and and uh like like suspension of the vehicle and then there was one very unique vehicle in the beginning called beta that i ended up purchasing it's the only one that is powered by the bmw diesel engine
1: and for for everyone listening i i highly encourage you to go to google and just type in rally fighter and and check out the appearance of these cars because it's it's like nothing i've seen before it's like a cross between uh, a sports car and a rally car nick can you tell us a little bit about like where did the inspiration behind that vehicle come from because it's really unique and different and, and very cool
0: so it came from basically everyone uh, it was like crowdsourced, or voted together by the internet. And the designer that won, his name was Sangho Kim. And he was, uh, he was going to school at the time. He's an automobile designer. And basically the rally fighter to him was what the BMW, I think X five series should have been, which was like a cross between a BMW, x5 and a p51 mustang like airplane so it has like roof straps and like a bubble canopy and goes off road in the desert 20 inches of travel
1: (laughs) (laughs) what's it like driving because you you bought one of those right or you had one for some time
0: oh yeah i own one currently i'll I'll never get rid of it because it's such a special vehicle to me nice like you know you can go play grand theft auto you know, five and like they have the coil <laughs> brawler, and then like a few other video games have it. And when you're driving the vehicle, it's very much like the video game it's unstoppable, tons of power, horrible brakes, it can go through anything, and you can't see Jack when you're inside of it. It was stylized to look cool, but changing lanes is the scariest part of driving <laughs> a rally fighter.
1: <laughs> That's why you only take it on the desert. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the desert, you're you're here in Arizona, so am I. Um, I. I'm pretty sure it, I don't think it was in the Rally Fighter, but maybe it was in one of your trucks. I, I saw some pictures that reminded me of a place that I'm familiar with. I think it was out at Sycamore Creek, maybe the the, the Widowmaker area. Is that is that somewhere that you go?
0: Oh, yeah. Back in the day when I was in college, uh, go hang out with a lot of the SAE Baja guys and go to Lower Sycamore. and. Table Mesa, and I live near Florence now, so I frequent that area. Some of the hardcore rock trails and stuff. <laughs>
1: that that's another uh, place that people should check out is uh, Sycamore Creek and and the Widowmaker area over there. I mean, it's a it's just a really cool rock formation that that Mother Nature has provided for us. I've gone up there on my uh, on my Segway X two hundred and sixty dirt bike, which I love, and just barely made it up. It's really steep, hence oh, the, the really. name. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Sycamore is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool place. Uh, well, outside of work, you've you've completed several very impressive projects on your own, and I'm sure there are, are a ton of them. But the two I read about were the the 2001 Dodge Dakota and the wonderfully named Millennial Falcon Dragon Wagon. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about each of those projects? Oh yeah, the Dodge Dakota. Well.
0: Because my first vehicle was a two-wheel drive Dodge Dakota. And I was, you know, it was one of those presents from my parents. And they said, if I got four-wheel drive, I'd roll it over. So it was my ambition to make this vehicle four-wheel drive. Accepted. <laughs> <laughs> so going to college, it was my daily driver. And I collected parts and planned through forums, Pirate 4x4 and stuff for, like, three years. And when I was 20, I had a one-month period where, like, in between, like, I think it was Christmas break. I can implement it. So they basically cut the vehicle's front frame half design, tire front suspension, put it in a Dana 44 front axle of a 1978 F 250 and a rear axle of like a 1994 U-Haul van, and a transfer case from like a 1970s Ford truck and put it on these King coilovers and built it as low as possible to have as much suspension travel as possible. And, uh, Designed my own steering system, converting it from rack and pinion to like crossover style steering. And it all worked in the end. And I ended up like wheeling really hardcore trails and put 40-inch tires on it and took it to King wow. of the Hammers, Bridget Canyon. It's been an awesome vehicle, all before I was 20.
1: <laughs> Jeez, so you completely <laughs> overhauled this truck.
0: Oh uh, yeah, the Dakota. It's been through seven transmissions, but it's on its original engine and still on the axles and
1: using most of the design from when I was a teenager. (laughs) Incredible. And so you're a teenager, like overhauling a truck. How did you know how to do all that? And how did you have access to the tools? I mean, it sounds like you'd have to have like a full auto body repair shop to do some of the things that you're talking about doing. Uh, So like the knowledge was very important. It kind of comes
0: back to the antique radio days. But back then, you know, we had the, the forums and the internet they're kind of dead now but pirate 4x4 everyone share their knowledge i would go to like the best builds and type out really well written responses direct private message to the people i liked and ask them intricate questions and they would come back at me and tell me how they would do things differently so i took advice from the best and as far as like implementing it like buying stuff off craigslist or going to junkyards i'd really didn't have anywhere to build it i was living with some roommates in college, at a house in South Phoenix, and uh, I made like this crazy like adapter that I would plug into the oven and bring 50 amps outside in the <laughs> sand. <laughs> and had a nice 220 yeah. volt yeah. welder and would weld when it not when it wasn't like windy, like but pull out really nice welds. <laughs> you know, build like cardboard cutouts, whatever I had to do, I did.
1: <laughs> Finding a way, right? Uh, oh yeah nice and and how about the uh the dragon wagon what can you tell us about that one
0: that was like my exodus to locomotors so i locomotors is a great company but it was it was my time to go and i wanted to build a vehicle in the parking lot and the ceo was always awesome he he enjoyed my creations and and shared them but as we became more corporate like hr didn't really like the parking lot because they have like (laughs) a lot of junk there. So (laughs) I show up with like this Frankenstein together, five-ton truck with a half-done Hemet cab swap. And I finish it up and then built this crazy subframe for a camper and basically put in my two weeks while I'm madly building this creation. It's a 26,000 pound, six-wheel drive, Cummins Allison powered house on wheels. And then you know i i left the company looking for brighter futures in the, the san francisco bay area but around palm springs a part that i didn't like ever touch, just completely like exploded the uh, like 1300 pound transfer case melted its input bearing so that led to another adventure where I ended up getting another job and stuff.
1: <laughs> and you got another job just because you're basically your home broke down and you needed to what, earn some money to keep going. Oh yeah. I, I was
0: working up at Lake in San Francisco Bay, but it was so expensive and I was kind of homeless and my truck was broken down and, uh, around LA in Redlands, California so i'm like oh it was my first like corporate job and i hated it so i started like putting out job offers hitting up everyone with a startup and that's when i contacted giovanni and dakota at it was at the time thor trucks but now it's xos trucks and they were younger than me at the time and they started this startup truck company and they liked that basically you know frankenstein this truck together and i knew trucks so they hired me as a six employee as like the lead manufacturing head of shop like engineer. And I fixed the truck and I drove it and lived in the parking lot at XOS Trucks and helped build the, one of the first electric semi trucks. So that was I really guess
1: fun. they didn't have a HR department there yet.
0: No, no, no HR department. <laughs> but, you know, LA is pretty crazy, man. It's especially North Hollywood. I don't even know how any HR department would survive there. <laughs> oh, Tell me more about that. What's crazy about it? Oh, just LA is completely different, like with Phoenix in terms of like the culture like negotiation with suppliers, like dealing with like the state for installing machines. It was like huge culture shock for me <laughs> and like North North Hollywood. Formal? Oh, no, it is more like informal and
1: oh, aggressive okay.
0: haggling. Big city oh, stuff. Huh. So I'm from like Arizona and it was like complete shock to me. Like, whoa,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> As the people in California go really hard with everything. And North Hollywood's kind of like, Where I was staying was a sketchy area, like you'd hear gunshots at night. Like Dakota Dakota said, like, I could park my truck at his thousand acre ranch in Malibu and have his pet giraffe as my neighbor. Or I could park it at the shop in North Hollywood and live in the parking lot. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to park at the shop because I hate LA traffic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a big deal right there. Not having to sit through an hour or two of traffic every day. Oh, Yeah. Well, let me take a real quick break here and share with the listeners that Teampipeline.us is where you can learn more about how we help medical device and other product engineering or manufacturing teams develop turnkey equipment, custom fixtures, and automated machines to characterize, inspect, assemble, manufacture, and perform Verification testing on your devices. We're speaking with Nick Bauer today. You know, Nick, as I was uh, preparing for this webinar, I I kept wanting to say Jack Bauer. Do you ever get that? Oh, yeah. A lot of people have not watched 24 yet, but it's
0: definitely... One of these days when I have some free time I'll get into the series because everyone references Jack Bauer and I have
1: no clue what they're talking about. <laughs> but it must be a badass guy because it's oh, like totally. a total of endearment. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it, there are definitely some some similarities, but I, I I think I'd have to say you're probably more of a MacGyver than a, a Jack Bauer. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Which is also <laughs> a huge compliment, of course, because MacGyver rocks. Uh, when you worked at, at Thor Trucks, which is now XOS Trucks, you were, you were working long hours, like 80-hour weeks. And, and given all the personal projects that you've completed, which I assume take quite a bit of time as well, I'm guessing that you must have a lot of energy to get all this stuff done. Have, have you just gotten lucky with good genes, or has developing that level of high energy been something that you've like, intentionally worked on over the years? Oh yeah,
0: I'm just like that. It's like like what Elon's like. I can go multiple days without sleeping. Although I did really? that for one one week and it ended up well, I ended up going to the hospital. But <laughs> <laughs> you you didn't sleep for a whole week. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't sleep for a whole week. It's hard to turn my brain off. It's it's really the biggest challenge I have with living is like sleeping. Like I just want to go to sleep sometimes, but. You know a lot of other people are like this your mind just goes crazy at like three o'clock and go on wikipedia and deep dive into like some mechanism or some off you know weird vehicle or something it just never stops and like you know a lot of these startup companies can exploit that in a good way
1: (laughs) what uh what was it like not sleeping for a week? I, I can't even. I'm a wimp when it comes to sleep. If oh, I don't yeah. get my eight hours, I'm no good the next day. And yeah. I can't even fathom going for multiple days, let alone a week.
0: Oh yeah. It was pretty bad. Like around like three days in like, you know, two days is what I usually do. Like start up at work. Cause then you start getting like weird and accidents can happen. We've had yeah. one head on collision at locomotors because of that. So like, institute policy can't work long hours but like after like three or four days like my body just wasn't wanting to fall asleep like I'd close my eyes and instantly like jump up felt like I have a fever and to be quite honest I entered like a a temporary state that was weird and And I had to go to the hospital to knock me out of that. (laughs)
1: That Wow. A
0: lot of lost memory from it.
1: I don't remember what happened. (laughs) Wow. That is insane. Holy (laughs) cow. That must have been, was it scary at the time? Or did you just not even like realize that this was happening because you were so sleep deprived?
0: Oh yeah, I felt like I was in a dream, so it wasn't scary. I was like, "This is a crazy dream, man!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> like the train to the hospital, the ambulance ride, everything. I'm like, my my significant other, my my mom didn't think I was gonna snap out of it
1: and oh, be like
0: geez. crazy forever. But wow. yeah, it's yeah, that's good to get to sleep.
1: Yeah. Can't get sleep. It's important. <laughs> <laughs> so leading up to that, did you did you not want to sleep or you just you, for whatever reason you couldn't? Like you said, you couldn't turn your brain off.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, I can't turn my brain off. Like normally I have to like take sleeping pills or, you know, have a separate sleeping area. I don't go on my phone, lock the phone away, you know, lock the computer away. Yeah. But like it was like at the start of the coronavirus thing. I like I think I had a lot of anxiety, and I just couldn't sleep.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, wow. well, what as I was researching you and looking at your background, I mean, I, I started getting this this mental image of of you as a person, and it was really clear that that you have all this energy, right? You can do so much, and I thought to myself, this guy is gonna be like like hyperactive when we start talking you know he's going to be bouncing like here and there and everywhere and you're totally not you're super chill and and very very relaxed so yeah, i am I'm, I'm surprised a little bit by uh, uh your your demeanor not in a good way or a bad way just not exactly what i expected do you ever get that from people oh yeah i get that sometimes you know I, i'm going to help you ahead and say this
0: publicly but you have a disability i've known for a long time about it i was diagnosed with uh attention deficit disorder, primarily an attentive in grade school. And, uh, you know, they put, they put kids on like, uh, medication, but just wasn't the thing for me. Like, yeah, the sleeping problem, even worse, uh-huh. um, when they put you on a but through this entire journey, I've learned a lot of coping mechanisms with it, put a calculator in another calculator, being quiet. It's my mind's constantly like, you know, trying to get over this ADD, I have a lifetime of coping mechanisms to deal with it, and it's getting better with time.
1: <laughs> if if you don't want to share any of these, I totally understand that. My my son is the same way. He his brain just goes a hundred miles a minute, and like we've, you know, we're always trying to help him in different ways. Would you be open to sharing any of the coping mechanisms that you found to be effective?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it's important for people you know with learning disabilities on the autistic spectrum or attention deficit disorder to to share these coping coping mechanisms so they can help other people
1: (laughs) yeah 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 well clearly you love cars and you've owned i think 29 of them and maybe that number is even higher now um have, have you had any favorites or have they all been special in their own unique ways
0: oh yeah i have a few favorites like the rally fighter is my favorite right right now just because i have such history with that car
1: i'm not surprised to hear that that's such a cool car
0: oh yeah and like you know it's it's pretty crazy because i've been at three startups two ipos and i'm really horrible at negotiations. so i'm not like you know financially like free at all but (laughs) (laughs) but uh Jay Rogers at locomotors, man, I I don't really care about money, but like that rally fighter is one of a kind and what he did for me, allowing me to recently purchase that vehicle is just, you know, pretty crazy.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's fantastic.
0: Oh yeah. That that vehicle at locomotors, it, it would always sit and when I would leave it'd break. It's like a 2009 BMW 335D dry train shoved into like, this rally fighter has like 20 different check engine lights on and <laughs> it's just always a challenge to keep it going but
1: i i love it <laughs> it's your spirit animal oh yeah <laughs> what do you think it is about automotive that uh that, that makes you love the work so much well it's extremely hands-on it's cool you know like it's got the
0: cool factor i mean sometimes i hate it Like, maybe i want to get out of like automotive and get into another field of engineering but it's really cool when when you build a vehicle you know that changes history or you know turns on for the first time and you and maybe a couple other engineers are there to experience it and see it do weird things that no one has talked about or like you know you accidentally input you know an rpm value for the wheel speed and it's for the motor end and spins up and goes 300 miles an hour in the air and you're like whoa you know that's awesome (laughs) like you know just those little experiences when you know one of these prototype vehicles comes alive or turns on after weeks and weeks of troubleshooting that make it all worth it
1: and gets um showcased in a a feature-length film we didn't talk about that but the, the rally fighter was in the transformers 4 movie i think oh yeah yeah it was pretty cool i got
0: to go get shipped out to help that car on the set because they accidentally ran into another car and they said oh it's just gonna need its upright replaced and i was like oh they'll send the intern out it'll be easy but like the the wheel hit like this other vehicle and punched the control arm into the frame and uh like it was undrivable and unsafe and they're like we had to have the." done filming by tomorrow and it was a sunday in like austin texas we had no welders that were working so like i'm calling people on craigslist like cutting metal off with these people that work in the movie industry they're all union workers but they're awesome to work with and they're like more like carnies than anything just going heads on (laughs) into this rally fighter like
1: fiberglassing
0: Uh, the body together had like This guy and his son come in from Craigslist. and He's like, "Is that Bumblebee?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." Here, signed this NDA. Like, (laughs) we can't get this fixed. Like, awesome experience, man.
1: Oh, that's so cool. Sounds like everyone really pulled together and just got it done. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. Stuff like that is is pretty cool. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's an experience that I mean, no amount of money can buy, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Working for
0: Paramount on, you know, Transformers is. It was pretty awesome, yeah. for sure.
1: <laughs> um, what's what's the best way to get on your bad side and also the best way to get on your good side? Oh, geez, this is a hard one. Well, good
0: side, the, the best way is, like, I don't know. I like people that have projects. So everyone I work with that has, like, a project at home, like, I get along really well with them. Okay. Like, they're very, like, driven, literally <laughs> the bad side I, I really i don't like career driven like engineers or people I, I work with that aren't in it for the passion i guess you could say like i don't i don't know i don't i have to you know start respecting them
1: later <laughs> if you're punching out at 5 p.m that's that's not your bag huh? uh, it depends i mean some people can get things done really fast
0: and if they're good heck if they show up for an hour and do the work of 20 people
1: uh, awesome to work with i like working with people like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah a players typically like working with other a players <laughs> well uh you have this this nickname slick nick can you tell me where the nickname came from oh man at Locomotives we have
0: these these guys like the og guys that were relocated with the company there from Boston. We had this one guy named Mike Bazzani, and he just called me slick all the time. And I, oh, okay. I, I make slick things. I don't really I really know why they call me slick, but like my whole Instagram is slickness industries. It's slick everything.
1: It just stuck, huh? Uh,
0: yeah, I slick my hair back. and Nice. Uh, maybe sometimes nice. I do slick things.
1: <laughs> Good branding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so you're you're clearly a guy who can get a lot of stuff done uh, do you have any like specific strategies or or tools that you can share about you know how how to get the most out of yourself how to be super productive
0: so yeah that's something i, I always have a problem with is like staying productive through the work day oh so, really like, yeah if, you, if you're like me like the best way for me to be productive is you just thrown into like, you know, when stuff's on fire, like oh. when things, things are lame and things are like all corporate and boring. Oh, I, I don't really know how to deal with that. But there's like a vehicle with a major problem and no one knows how to fix it. Like throw people like me, just at it with the with like, you know, some sort of way to purchase things like money, <laughs> <laughs> money and Nick. That's how you solve yeah. the problem.
1: Yeah, <laughs> nice. that's awesome. Um what are what are one or two of the biggest challenges that that you have at work? Oh yeah, definitely like staying like not on task,
0: but like staying focused, you know, when things are are more corporate. Mm-hmm. Like I, uh, you know, that's that's probably the biggest challenge and some I still haven't like figured it out yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like those little startups, you know, where you're getting paid potatoes and like is there a world of challenges? Oh, I love that. That's that's what's really fun.
1: <laughs> you like the really fast-paced environments where there's there's always a fire to put out. Yeah, when there's always a fire to put out, and when there's like no organization,
0: <laughs> 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 like no, you know, I'm I'm looking for that Valve software. I'm looking for that, you know, the of the engineering world. Nah, I'm not sure if that company exists yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: You love the chaos. It sounds like. Oh, yeah, where, like, everyone's on the same playing field and just works together to make a common goal and build something really cool.
1: Awesome. I love it. <laughs> well, um, how can people get a hold of you, Nick?
0: Oh, yeah, you can hit me up on Instagram. That's where I'm most, like, active. It's uh, Slickness Industries. And then I have my email, nick486dx at com, And then, like, you know, social media, Facebook, um getting on that TikTok, tock.
1: It just seems pretty fun. So <laughs> excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, is there anything else that uh, we should have talked about? Anything else you think would be interesting or informative to people that, that uh, we haven't talked about? Oh, I just, I, I know there's other engineers
0: out there like me, you know, especially, or people that have yet to be like engineers going, going in school, um, you know, that have like a learning disability, like ADD, and failing classes, but no, that's what they want to do in life. You know, my, my advice is, do whatever you can. Don't give up. You know, because like the people that can solve problems out there, you know, you'll go far in your career. Like, like keep going. Drop if you got to drop out and go to community college to get your classes done, because you know, more one on one, do it. Like never give up. It's, it's okay if you don't have to graduate in four or five years. Take your time and get through it.
1: <laughs> I think that's such excellent advice. Uh, I personally struggled a little bit through college. I mean, I did fine, you know, I got mostly A's and B's, but it was hard. I, I'm not a natural academic, for sure. I had to Sorry. put a lot of hours in to, to get those A's and B's. And uh, I remember a guy that I knew growing up was an engineer, and he told me, you know, engineering school, is hard, and you might feel tempted to give up at, at a certain point, but once you get out of school and start working, things are different, you know, like that's, w- once you start doing the actual work, it's it's easier in a sense than the schooling, and I remembered that when I was in school, and there were times when I wanted to give up, and I thought, you yeah, know, this is too hard for me, I'm not sure I can do it, but like you said, just push through it. And uh, that turned out to be true. Once I got through a school, the actual work of engineering was so much more fulfilling for me than just you know, getting through the, the school.
0: Oh yeah, it's way more
1: fulfilling. And instead of paying for it, you get paid to do it. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, nice that's a too. bonus as well. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right, well, Nick, thank you so much for, for hanging out a little bit today. It was uh, super fun getting to know you and hearing some of your stories. Right on. It was nice talking to you. I appreciate you having me on the show today. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please share the episode. To learn how your team can leverage our team's expertise developing turnkey equipment, custom fixtures, and automated machines, and with product design, visit us at teampipeline.us. Thanks for listening.